we'll invite you to open your Bible with me tonight to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, as we continue our series through the book of Psalms. And we'll read all 35 verses, but we will obviously not have time to exegete this psalm verse by verse. And so we'll be looking at the major themes and then seeing how they apply to our life today. But this is a psalm most likely written when, uh, uh, David, by David when the ark is brought up uh, for the first time to Jerusalem and God is enthroned as king. And so it, it celebrates God's rising up and reigning. Let's read, give our, give our attention to God's word. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him, he shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melt before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are our great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many mount, peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode, yes, where the Lord will dwell forever? The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the head of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you might strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. 
Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herds of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Well, Father, we thank you that you've given us this psalm tonight to train us and to give us a, a better understanding of, of what you've accomplished in Christ and who we are in him. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would, Lord, hear your voice speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've heard the uh, phrase made famous by Jim McKay. If you remember Jim McKay, uh, ABC's Wild World of Sports. Uh, he would talk uh, in the opening uh, part of that show every time would be, he would talk about the thrill of agony, the thrill of victory, and the agony of deceit. The thrill of victory and the agony of deceit. Uh, the thrill of victory was accompanied by some scene of great triumphant joy. Oftentimes, the uh, men's uh, Olympic hockey team, the Miracle on Ice team from the 1980 Olympics. That's the picture you would see when McKay is talking about the thrill of victory. And when he was talking about the agony of deceit, the most popular um, image that you would see was this poor young man, 22-year-old Vinko Bogataj, a Yugoslavian ski jumper who comes crashing off the ski jump, um, and it's just a spectacular uh, crash. Uh, it's amazing he wasn't killed, but he was not. It sort of made him famous before you had YouTube and viral videos. Well, my question tonight is, what scene better represents your life? Uh, the miraculous victory of the 1980 Olympic men's hockey team or the cringing failure of young Vinko? Are you living the thrill of victory or do you feel more comfortable uh, or more familiar with the agony of defeat? Or maybe you're living out the, that uh, lyric by James Taylor, uh, moving in quiet desperation, keeping an eye on the Holy Land. The sad truth is that most Christians would not lay claim to the thrill of victory. It sounds too triumphalistic, too optimistic maybe. It just doesn't reflect the truth about the weakness and the weariness, the sadness uh, that we so often feel. Well, Psalm 68, friends, stands for the proposition that the normal Christian life should vibrate with the thrill of victory. Uh, as we've noted before, the Psalms are written to train our emotions. They're, they're written to help us feel the realities of our faith the realities of, of who God is and what God has accomplished. And so if it's been a long time since you could say that your life was uh, defined by the thrill of victory, well, Psalm 68 was written for you. The fact is that in Christ, victory is the overwhelming reality of your life. No matter how you feel, if you're in Christ, that's the truth about you. Psalm 68 is a rousing song of triumph. Uh, it's written by David to uh, celebrate, most commentators believe, to celebrate the ascension of the ark. The ark has been brought uh, to Jerusalem now for the first time. And uh, you can read that story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
Uh, David has been made the king. Uh, David has uh, been given the power, uh, the, by the power of God, has defeated and beaten back the Philistines like they've never been beaten back before. The borders of Israel have been expanded. And now to bring the ark into the city and into the tabernacle, this is the crowning capstone of David's mission. God is finally dwelling in the midst of his people, in the city of the king, in the land of promise. It's the epitome of David's dreams, his aspirations, and it's the fulfillment of God's promise. And so it's a scene of tremendous rejoicing. 2 Samuel 6, verse 5, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And so that's the, the scene, or at least as David uh, thinks about bringing this ark up or having it now installed in Jerusalem, God himself dwelling in the city. David writes Psalm 68. We're going to first look at the reign of God, then the conquest of God, and the character of God. Uh, the psalm is really about the wonderful, glorious reign of God. One of the things that we uh, as Americans miss out on is the sense of a king or a queen, royal splendor and, and, and honor and what it means for a new king or queen to ascend to the throne. But that's what David is speaking of here. Verse 1 begins uh, with his triumphant proclamation, God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him. If you know your Old Testament well, you'll recognize those words. It's almost a word-for-word -word repetition of what Moses would say every time the Israelites would move in the wilderness. Uh, boys and girls, if you remember, uh, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin of bowing down to the golden calf. And, and God led them through the wilderness by that pillar of fire. And every time the cloud and fire moved, the people would pack up their tents and they'd pack up the tabernacle, and they'd take up the ark, and they would move, and Moses would lead the procession with these words, Numbers 10.35. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Now notice how David takes that prayer and turns it into a proclamation. Instead of saying, Let God arise, David boldly affirms God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him shall flee before him. David is brimming with confidence. And the reason for his confidence is, is, is easy to see. God has fulfilled his promise. But God made a promise to Abraham a thousand years earlier that, that he would give Abraham a, a great nation, descendants, and, and he would give uh, Abraham's descendants a land. And for a thousand years, God has been working that, out that promise. Through the wanderings, uh, through the, the long um, bondage in Egypt, the wanderings in the wilderness, through the turmoil of the period of the judges, now, finally... Israel is in the land. David has been established as king. The Philistines have been beaten back. And the ark now has been brought to Jerusalem, the capital city. You see, in a sense, uh, promise has given way to reality. Faith has been replaced with sight. This is, this is sort of a foretaste of heaven. What God had promised has come to pass. 
And that's the reason for David's joy and David's confidence. And, and uh, David then celebrates the reign of God the king in Jerusalem, and he celebrates the conquest of God's enemies. Verse 2, as smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. The, uh, the reign of God is accompanied by the conquest of God. God has, has beaten back his enemies and God will continue to scatter his enemies and make his enemies flee before him. Verse 21, God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. God is a judge as well as a king. Now, people today tend to be a little nervous about speaking of God's enemies and God bringing vengeance on his enemies, God judging and destroying and scattering his enemies. Uh, people would tend rather to believe that God is everyone's friend. But David is just speaking with the full awareness of the reality of the kingdom of darkness and the God-hating disposition of the world. Um, sinful men really are, by nature and by choice, enemies of God. And that is not just an Old Testament truth, it is in the New Testament. Jesus talks freely about what will happen to those who are the enemies of God. Paul speaks in Romans chapter 1 about the wrath of God being poured out beyond the wickedness of men. He says in Ephesians 2 that, that we are by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. There really is a kingdom of darkness. And people really are uh, in bondage to that kingdom of darkness. We all are by, by nature. And, um, and, and those who are in the kingdom of darkness and belong to that kingdom will experience devastating defeat. That's, David just says it with, unapologetically. That is the reality of living in God's world and living under God's reign. But in direct contrast to the devastation that will be experienced by God's enemies is the delight of God's children. Look at verse 3. The righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. This, this isn't uh, just having a good day. It's not simple cheer or pleasant contentedness. This is over-the-top exhilaration. Uh, this is full-throated elation and bliss, ecstasy, joy that goes so deep and makes you want to cry. Uh, not many of you, some of you here uh, remember the 1980 Olympic uh, victory. I, I remember that. Dating myself, I know. But um, grown men were in tears. People were pulling off the road and dancing around their cars uh, to hear that that. The, these college players from America had defeated the juggernaut of the Russian professional Olympic team. It was an exhilarating moment. Well, that's the exhilaration that uh, David is speaking of here. This is the exhilaration of God's people. Well, what fuels that emotion? When's the last time you felt that emotion? Just sheer exhilaration, exaltation. What fuels it is, of course, the reality of God, the glory of God. Specifically, David will mention two characteristics of God, his goodness and his power, and to know that God in all of his goodness and power is our God. Notice how he highlights the, uh, the goodness of God. Verses 5 and 6. 
Father of the fatherless and protector, protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious, note the, the antithesis again, the rebellious dwell in a parched land. The goodness of God is at the same time uh, a doctrine that the world most doubts and that the scriptures most happily, consistently proclaim. God is good. Let me just give you a few um, examples from the Psalms that testify. Psalm 25, verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 31, 19. How abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And you you could uh, add many, many other examples uh, of that truth. God is good. And the goodness of God is specifically revealed in his compassion for the needy. And that's why we, we have the list here. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a protector of widows. In those days, to be without a father, to be without a husband, meant that you were in the most desperate condition, the most, uh, the, the most desperate poverty. Men were alone able to, uh, to work and to, at least uh, in a meaningful career, and to, uh, and to have um, possessions and property and inherit, uh, to receive inheritance. Uh, a father provided you with your sense of identity, um, your security. To be without a father was a, a devastating loss, economically and socially. To be without a husband was a devastating loss. But God is a father to the fatherless, and God is a protector of widows. He provides identity and security, comfort to orphans and fatherless and widows. That's a message we shouldn't forget in our world today, that, that God delights to reveal His glory and His goodness in meeting the real needs of those uh, who are in need. Uh, we, live in a, we, we live in a pandemic of fatherlessness, a pandemic of uh, boys and girls who don't have a, a, a deep relationship with their dad or maybe have never known their dad. What a, what, a, what a God we can bring to uh, this world, that our God has compassion on the fatherless, and he, he protects the widows. It's a wonderful message of hope. He settles the solitary in a home. Loneliness is a devastating burden, and community and family and fellowship is a great blessing, and, and what, a, what a blessing it is to belong to the church of Jesus Christ. To not ha- we don't have to be alone. We have brothers and sisters, not only here, but around the world. By the grace of God, he has settled us in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. A prison in David's day, it would be, it would be something, I think, just to go and visit a, a prison uh, in, in, uh, during that, that day, that age. Prisons were not nice places. Uh, prisons were places of hopelessness, particularly if you were in debtor's prison, which seems to be the context David is speaking of here. If you were in debtor's prison, you were there because you owed a debt that you could not pay, and so they punish you by throwing you into into prison, thus ensuring that you never will be able to pay. And so you are hopelessly bound up under your debt and no ability to make it right. But God, notice, leads bound, broke prisoners not just to freedom, He leads them to prosperity to prosperity, to abundance. 
Psalm 62, verse, 66, verse 12 talked about this. You have led us out to a place of abundance. You see, the, the exhilaration of God's people is that we belong to a God of abundance. That's not a health, wealth, gospel truth. That's a biblical truth. Our God is a God of abundance. Look at, look at verse 9. Reign in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. You're, in your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. God really is a God who delights to give lavish gifts, abundant gifts in Jesus Christ. And this goodness is not only seen as we look to the past, but it's experienced in the present. Verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. You could translate that, who day by day, one day after another, bears us up. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs deliverances from death. Every day God gives us grace sufficient for the journey. If, um, if you ever get it, well, you have the chance. I encourage you, talk to older saints and ask them, has God been faithful every day? And they will be able to tell you with joy the faithfulness of God every day. No matter how great the trial, no matter how heartbreaking the loss, God was faithful every day. Sufficient grace for the journey. Every day until we reach our final home. Every day till we reach the end. And when we're at the end, he delivers us from death itself. Friends, God is good. He is profoundly good. The, the test of whether or not you believe that and have assimilated that truth into the reality of how you do life is, is how much you complain, how much you grumble, uh, how much you, you, you doubt and worry and are um, just beset by anxiety about the things of your life. Because if that truth has settled in that, that God rules and God knows me, he knows when I rise and when I sit down, my going out, my coming in. He knows every right thought before I think it and my words before I speak them. And he's good, profoundly, infinitely good. So I don't, I don't have to worry, and I should never, I should not grumble because God deals with me always in his goodness. Let that truth just sink in. He is also mighty. David rejoices in the strength of God. In verses 11 through 14, he talks about God's utter defeat of the kings of this world. The women, there are a host of women who are saying, the, the, the kings, they flee, they flee. God is scattering his enemies everywhere. It's a rout. God is victorious. In verse 17 through 18, he, he exalts in the might of God's army. Uh, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. In other words, the God who thundered at Mount Sinai so that the people trembled and were gripped with fear. That God now dwells uh, in the tabernacle. The God of Sinai is now in Jerusalem. And so there's tremendous confidence in the, in, in the psalm. The power of God is on our side. Verse 28, summon your power, O God, the power by which you have worked for us. Verse 35, awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. David knows that every victory he's won has been by the power of God. Every accomplishment that they've seen in Israel uh, is because of the power of God working on their behalf. And the God who's brought them here is a God who is able to bless them there. Well, that's Psalm 68. In short, 
What does this have to say to us? Well, it's not that hard uh, to see the relevance of this psalm. What David, you see, saw in shadow and type, we see now through the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the full title of Jesus is Jesus Christ the Lord. That was the confession of the early church. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, is Lord, sovereign, reigning king of the universe. Jesus is Lord. We know the king. Uh, Paul uses Psalm 68, actually, in in Ephesians chapter 4. He he specifically references it, quotes it with a slight twist, um, and that would be verse 18. We read it in Psalm 68, verse 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Well, Paul takes that and twists it a bit to say, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, giving gifts to men. And there's a discussion that you can read about in the commentators why he makes that slight change. But, but Paul clearly sees Jesus as the king of Psalm 68. Jesus, the conquering king, who ascended to the heavens. Uh, Jesus, who now reigns at the right hand of God. Paul, you see, has this, this sense of the drama of redemption. Jesus Christ, by his life and death and resurrection, doing mortal combat with the prince of darkness. Um, and yet, when Jesus rose from the grave, it's not just, yay, Jesus. It is a victory of Christ for all creation. Judah's lion has burst its chains uh, and crushed the serpent's head. That's what's happened when Jesus came from that tomb. He arose a victor from the dark domain. Paul celebrates that resurrection victory of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, he talks about Jesus doing what Paul speaks of in Psalm 68, leading people out of prison. Listen again to Colossians 2, verse 13. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, bound in death, God made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. We were in the debtor's prison by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him that is in Christ. God is the victor. Christ is the victor. There's a, there's a whole a theory of, of the atonement called the, the Christus Victor theory, which captures, I think, rightly the, the sense that uh, Jesus' victory was a... Was, Jesus' death and resurrection is a cosmic victory over darkness. What it tends to underplay is that he he conquered by atoning as a substitute um, for our sin. But but it's true, Jesus is the victor. And in his victory, you see, the debt that imprisoned us has been replaced with the wealth of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Oh, brothers and sisters, one day we're going we're gonna to realize the incredible wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. Today, we're, it's just, we got our eyes just stuck on the horizontal level, and we're looking at the kind of cars we drive and homes we live in and, and how much money we're making each year, and, um, and we're, we're not looking so often 
to the infinite riches, the, the, the actual wealth that we have in Jesus. Paul will say outrageous things like, all things are yours. Everything's yours. We're, we're heirs with Jesus Christ, co-participants in his glory and co-heirs with all his inestimable riches. And Peter will say in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. There you have the goodness and the power of God. In his goodness, he's blessed you with infinite riches. And by his power, he's keeping that rich, those riches for you, and he's keeping you, guarding you, by faith for the riches. You are more wealthy than you can imagine, than you could ever, than you could ever dare dream. With eternal, true, infinite riches in Jesus. And that's where we, friends, that's where we live as Christians. Under the reign of our victorious King Jesus, we live as, as the rich people, the freed people, the, the jubilant people. All power belongs to Him. I know we feel harassed in this world, and we, and we sense the, the, that the powers of darkness are descending in our country. We, we sense the chaos and confusion of, of sin and brokenness all around us. But we need to remember that Jesus reigns. Jesus told his disciples when he gave them the great commission, there are two things that have been given to me. Authority, all authority, and what? Power. All authority and power have been given unto me. Therefore go and engage in the mission, making disciples. Remember what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8 after he's run through this wonderful list of all the things that cannot defeat us and cannot separate us from Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not we will be conquerors one day when he comes again. We are today, present tense, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, that's, that should be the conviction of a Christian. That, that's what this text is inviting us into. The world around us lives either casting, putting their confidence in things that will never work, or they live in the, the grim despair of realizing how hopelessly broken and wicked this world really is. The Christian stands in a unique place. Al Mohler says the Christian worldview stands in stark contrast both to the humanistic idea of progress and to modern secular pessimism. At the center of the Christian worldview stands a hope centered in the rule and reign of Christ. This text calls us to allow ourselves to feel the thrill of victory in Jesus. No matter how weak you are, no matter how weary, tired, sad, if you belong to Jesus Christ, victory is the banner over your life. This psalm calls us, you see, to, to experience, to, to let the gospel reality of Jesus Christ on his throne and all that he's accomplished and all that he's promised, allow that reality to penetrate your experience. Jesus is the victorious king, and you have been caught up in his conquest by grace through faith. And now we just have a little taste of it, and one day we're going to have the full glory of it. 
But let's live with the jubilance and the gladness and the exalting and the confidence that we can have in Christ today as his people. What difference would it make in your life if you lived with that thrill of victory running through your days? What difference would it make in the way you think about your life, your world, your, your circumstances? I'm going to challenge you to think about it. Talk to God about it. Pray that he gives you this faith, this confidence in the reign of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> oh, Lord, our God. We just confess, Lord, that we've had our eyes fixed on things that are temporary and passing away. And Lord, when we cry out to you, so often we do so without a deep conviction and confidence. We, Lord, have acted as though Jesus had not loved us with an everlasting love. And, and as, if he had not accomplished our redemption and set us free from death and the devil if Jesus had not raised us up with him in the heavenly realms and seated us with him, we act as though, Lord, we were on our own and we confess our sin, we confess our unbelief. God, I, I thank you that all authority and power have been given unto Jesus and Jesus has been given to the church as our head. And Jesus has been given to us as our Lord, our Savior, our protector. I pray, Lord, for the fatherless and the widows tonight, whether by death or divorce. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a deep sense of your love and care for them. I pray for those who are lonely, that they would sense God's presence and that they've been placed into a family. And Lord, I pray for all of us who've been imprisoned because of our sin, a debt we could never repay. Oh God, I pray that we would rejoice that Jesus Christ has set us free, not only to freedom, but to prosperity, to abundance in Jesus Christ. May we live this week, oh God, full of the, the, the humble confidence of victors in Jesus, that our anxiety would be put aside, that our, our fears, Lord, would be put to rest. Uh, Lord, that we would, we would walk with a joyful hope because we belong to Jesus and nothing can separate us from him, that we are today more than conquerors in him. And we thank you, O Jesus, that you are doing all things well, though we cannot understand so often, but Lord Jesus, we trust you and we look forward to the day when you shall return and take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing Psalm 68 together. Uh, o Lord, thou hast ascended. And uh, let's stand and let's celebrate the words and these truths as we sing them.
And now as you go as God's conquering people who've been conquered by the love and grace of Jesus Christ and called to live trusting in him, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the powerful and present Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.